to veganism through the Ravencorp, my current job, and that was about three years ago. So when I was a sophomore in high school or around 15. So, yeah. Very cool. So tell us about the Ravencorp. What is it for folks who don't know? Yeah, so we are a youth-led collective liberation organization, which is a lot of words. Um, but to put it simply, we're trying to be as multidimensional, or for those of you who might not understand what multidimensionalism is, which I'm always like excited to go into, it's basically intersectionality on steroids. Um, but we're trying to cover um, or touch on as many issues as possible, because for us, we believe that veganism should be a movement, a collective liberation movement that kind of touches on everything. So it should be, it should focus on racial liberation, on liberation of different genders, on liberation of different sexualities. It should focus on all of that. Um, so that's what we're kind of trying to do within the organization, which is look at veganism through the lens of it affects so many things, food and all the things that veganism affects, affects so many things that we need to take all of it into account. So that's what we mean by collective liberation, which is we're not just focusing on speciesism or climate or racial justice. We're trying to tackle all of it. And that's a new and exciting thing. But that also means that we usually have to shift directions a lot, which has been a really fun thing to do internally. But yeah, we're kind of taking it as it goes. I definitely want to explore further on kind of intersectionality and, and multidimensional um, kind of aspects of this. Before yeah. I do, though, just... Tell us how that kind of shows up, that sort of activism shows up for the Raven Corps. What kind of tactics, what kind of uh, kind of projects are you involved in? Yeah, for sure. So our main one that we've been focusing on for about one and a half years now is Operation Mind Over Milk or OpMom, as, as we've been referring to it um, on our socials and everything. And um, the, its main goal is to remove dairy from the National School Lunch Program in America, which is basically the program that um, people who need low or reduced free income lunch use. So basically how it's set up is if you can't afford to buy lunch, you're put on the National School Lunch Program and you're provided a full meal and you're usually forced to take dairy, mm -hmm. which most of the people who depend on the National School Lunch Program in America are students of color who are vastly more likely to be lactose intolerant, which puts them at direct harm. And beyond that, dairy sucks for everybody. <laughs> um, it sucks for the planet. It sucks for the cows because they... The, God, I don't even need to get it into dairy farming. It sucks for the people who work on dairy farms. Mm, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're trying to tackle dairy within schools that's at the youth-led aspect of it because there have been there are a lot of great organizations working on this like switch for good but we're unique in the fact that we're centering students we're centering the people who actually have the stakehold here mm. um and we're looking through it through multiple lenses like we're not just saying this because um of animal cruelty we're not saying this because of the environment yeah. we're saying because it it hurts everyone everything in its wake. Um, 
And the fact that there is literally no other option available is ridiculous. Like sometimes you, yeah. you'll have to buy water. The milk would be free. And that, that makes no sense to us. So, yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. How does how does it sort of show up in terms of like what that you what, what what your campaigning looks like in that on that particular project, for example? Is it is it kind of like letter writing, trying to apply pressure to those in power? Like how does it how does yeah. it kind of show up? No, for sure. So our original our tactics so far have been to educate the student base because a right. lot of students are unaware of everything that's happening like right underneath their nose. So mm -hmm. this past Halloween, we did our scary dairy day of action where basically the people who are within the organization, we got them set up with cartons of oat milk, soy milk, almond milk. Um, those small cartons and informational materials and help them table in their schools and in their communities to reach out to their peers and say, like, this is what's happening in your schools. These are the alternatives that you have access to, you know, join the fight, get educated, all of that. And we're, we're keeping up with the educational aspect of this because it's it's really important. We, we have to mobilize 1% of students if we want to actually affect change on this. But we're also focusing on advocacy, specifically on government officials. So the interesting aspect of this is on the policy side, which is that's what I'm in charge, not in charge of, but this is my specialty as the policy yeah. lead, um, is that it's all federal. Um, so on the state level, um, basically the reason that milk is free under the National School Lunch Program is that's the only thing that's reimbursable. So the district buys it, right? And the only drink it gets fully repaid for from the government is dairy milk, which is why it's free. And that's actually a, like a statutory regulation. So you can't lobby the USDA because the USDA is beholden to the actual law. So it would require an actual act of Congress to change it. Um, but there are ways that we could... The main sort of like loophole that we've been trying to engage in is the fact that you can get um, an alternative using a doctor's note in all 50 states, in every district. If you provide a doctor's note saying right. that you're lactose intolerant, you can get an alternative. But who has access to a doctor's note in America when it comes to like <laughs> healthcare and medical insurance, yeah. like all of that, right? But then also a parent's note in, like a parent's note is an option. The district could choose to listen to a parent's note. So that's the sort of loophole that we've been interested in, which is the USDA has not advertised the parent's note option at all. And districts really aren't aware of it. We found out that most students don't know that they can ask their parents to give a note to the district. And mm -hmm. then most districts don't know what to do with the parents note when it gets there. So right. while an act of Congress right now is literally impossible when it comes to you know, people dying of COVID, the loopholes that we can kind of try to engage in are getting the USDA to advertise like, hey, this is an option or getting it done at the state level so that people know that like, okay, if my parents are supportive or they can't get me a doctor's note, then I can ask for an alternative. But I mean, the, the other loop to it that makes it even harder is that for the districts that do listen to the parents note, they have to buy the soy milk and they don't get reimbursed for that at all. Right. And a lot of these districts, they're using um, corporate like food producers, right? So they're not, they're not buying the food from like Whole Foods. No, no, no. There's like corporations that make school food. 
So the district has to ask those corporations for soy milk. And usually those corporations don't have it. So it becomes Mm -hmm. an issue of the districts have to buy it wholesale for a ridiculous price for the district. And if there's not enough demand for it, the district advertising it as an option for like five students per school doesn't really make much economical sense to them, Um, which is why we're all communists. <laughs> but, um, there's also that side of like, if it's not at the federal level or at the state level, corporations are just going to be like, what do you mean soy milk? No one, yeah. no one like asks for that at the district level. So there's just so many, so many hurdles to it. And the first one that we're trying to jump is just getting people angry about it. Yeah. And then simultaneously trying to get, trying to get people to know that they have other options, that they have other ways to get to the options. So, yeah. So I take it through the the doctor's note, the parent's note uh, approach. Like you said, that you're sort of a bit at the mercy of whichever institution is kind of receiving that note and whether they've kind of got precedent for that, whether they've done it before, et cetera. And I take it there's probably an element of, like you said, they're not they're not getting the soy milk subsidized, so they 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 must have like a a budgetary amount for yeah. you know the, the the regular quote unquote sort of number of of you know students who are lactose intolerant, and that mm-hmm. probably at the moment is zero zero one percent or something. Oh you know. no 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 no! It's it's zero from our it's samples zero. from our samples. Wow. Barely anyone is requesting it. We haven't seen a single case where a student has managed to provide a doctor's or parent's note to their district and been able to gain soy milk. Wow. Yeah. That is where we are at in this situation. And and it's it it's been fascinating for us personally because we've heard Uh. we've heard horror stories about people who are lactose intolerant who've had to drink milk or parents who knows who know that their children don't want milk and or have been told that they can't send water or have had to ask if they could send water with those students and it's it's some really it, it's it's some really astounding stuff but we haven't heard of a single case where that like regulation, because that's in the law that if a student mm-hmm. has a doctor or parents note that they can get an alternative, which sounds very appealing there. And most m- yeah. many people, when they hear that, they're like, oh, OK, then what's the problem? Right. Uh, the problem yeah. is that it's not happening. Yeah. The, the problem is that it is not advertised. It is not happening. And there are definitely there. There are cases where like if you look at Portland Public School, which I'm not in Portland Public, I'm in Beaverton, which is like a suburb of Portland. I'm okay. in the Portland, Oregon area. But if you look at Portland Public School, they have a form, a standardized form that doctors or parents can fill out to request it. And there have been alternatives access there. But that's 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 the only district we're aware of. That has that sort of like standardized mechanism, which is mm. which shows that like if you really want to, you can implement a policy and make it so that it sounds good on paper but doesn't actually yeah. happen. And that's that's what we're seeing right now. Now, now forgive my complete naivety, right? But in the, in the UK here, so that in our school system, for, so I'll give you I'll give you the example. My I've got a five-year-old, right, who's mm-hmm. in the, 
the sort of the, the public school system, state yeah. school system over here for UK listeners. There's some confusion with public school in, in the <laughs> yeah. UK. People think that's private school. Um, but anyway, it state, he's in the state school system. So, um, and at the moment he's getting meals provided as part of, you know, that's they just, they just get meals provided up to the age of five, I think it is, or six, something like that. Mm-hmm. And when we first went to school, there was no vegan options. They didn't give us an option. Um, and through some research, we found some other councils, so kind of districts or states in the in the US were um, they were providing it. So there was there was obviously a precedent, and the the company that was you know delivering school meals to the schools was did have those options on their website and stuff. So we kind of felt fairly sure. And uh, we went to school, and the, the school's first reaction was. No, nah, it's too difficult. We're too small a school. We can't really op- provide that option. You'll just have to take packed lunches, which, you know, in the worst case we would have done, but just on a principle thing, it was yeah. just kind of like, well, that doesn't seem right there. Every other, you know, if, if, if it's something that's provided and we've kind of paid through our taxes, if you like, then, you know, it should be a, an option. Anyway, I fast forward, I, I then kind of had to sort of bring up with them the kind of veganism being a protected. Uh, ethical belief system in the UK through the court case with, um, f- forget his, his surname, G- uh, with Geordie. I don't know if you're aware of a guy called Geordie who, um, it was about his workplace, but he ultimately kind of took his workplace to court and had the, the law was then changed so that veganism is a protected ethical belief system in the UK, like any kind of other, like a religious belief, for mm-hmm. example. So if you wanted kosher or halal meals, you could get those. And it's the, now the same kind of thing, if you like, with, with veganism to a, to a degree. You still have to kind of ask questions and it's still not as well known even by the institutions, but it is a thing and you can get it. And it wasn't in the grand scheme of things too difficult for 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 us to to get our little one uh vegan meals and and water instead of milk mm-hmm. when they went around with the milk tray and all that kind of stuff so and this is where I, my naivety comes in so in the in the u.s there is no such protection am i right yeah no we i'm not currently aware of any case that would put veganism at like like you could get a religious exemption for a lot of things mm-hmm. right in in the United States but i don't anticipate veganism being a valid sort of like ethical mm. belief system here so mm. Mm. and i think what would happen is meals and milk are it's strange but <laughs> they it's like kind of two different systems almost right, because okay. It's like, how do I, like, from the corporation aspect of, like, the actual, like, food suppliers providing, I wouldn't say vegan meals, but vegetarian meals is a little bit of an easier lift than providing soy milk, right? Okay. Because in our, in our perfect world, we wouldn't even be providing dairy milk. It would just kind of be water, right? That's, that's our perfect world, but Uh we'll settle for readily accessible soy milk or water Uh or some other alternative that allows students under the national school lunch program to still get a free meal. Right. But that, that would take from our, or not just from our knowledge, but from common knowledge within Mm. this movement, it would take a statutory 
change. It would take an act of Congress. And there are, there are bills in Congress looking to do that. Um, but it's just the support behind it is, let's just say, lacking, to put it best. So what, what do you kind of hope will happen with this with this campaign you know so like you say you 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 mobilize one percent it'd be good good to understand like where does the one percent number come from why is that a particular kind of threshold and 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 what happens when you kind of mobilize these these folks this one percent or maybe more hopefully to uh, want change what's the kind of end goal for the raven core yeah so the one percent statistic i am not able to remember what book or like like actual like source that comes from but it is a common or not a common belief it's in order to enact change in a certain issue you have to mobilize one percent of stakeholders okay is like a tipping point kind of yes exactly so we're looking to mobilize one percent of students they're the stakeholders in the situation and one percent of parents too because they're the ones with voting power sure um and our hope would be that the way America works or technically how America should work is if the people want it, the people <laughs> tend to get it after a certain point. Uh-huh. Um, but how it truly works is that if enough people want it, people with money will get interested and then pay someone to put it into place. Right. Uh-huh. So we're hoping that, through mobilizing 1% of stakeholders, we're able to get enough of a conversation going that there is more money to be found in being against dairy than there is in being for dairy. Sure. And that's the real, that's a real challenge because if you ask most students right now, they're not going to tell you that they absolutely love milk. If you ask more, most parents right now, they're still under the assumption that like, milk is a necessary part of your diet, which objectively it just isn't. Like vegetables, fruits, protein, legumes, to a certain extent, carb, carbohydrates, all of it, sure. But everything that can be found in dairy can be found elsewhere in your diet. There's, There's nothing that like nutritionally uniquely it provides you. That argument Uh just has completely fallen through. But our current system is functioning under literal propaganda from the world war, like world wars, right? Mm -hmm. And that's that's not conducive to our current society. It, It just isn't, right? The only reason that milk is the way that it is in the current system is because dairy farms need it to be. Without the National School Lunch Program, without the amount of dairy being distributed to schools, liquid dairy would would collapse. There's mm-hmm. there's a ridiculous amount of subsidies from the American government. The American government actually advertises for dairy companies by taking tax money off of dairy. And on top of all of that, it buys dairy at an incredible rate just because of the National School Lunch Program. So the goal is to put more money in being against dairy than Mm. being for dairy, right? And that only comes through mobilizing people, through making Mm. people angry, through making the general populace shift away from what they think they know about milk, right? Like... Mm. And that's, that's happening. If you look at the reaction from like the Got Milk campaigns in America right now, like it, it, 
the the blindfold is being lifted and we're we're just trying to really pull it off right now because there there is money to be found in milk alternatives but we're just it's sad that we're just at the end of the day just trying to shift corporate donors from one issue area to the next but Mm. in the lack of any other fruitful sort of we're not about to deconstruct capitalism we're not about to deconstruct (laughs) the corporate complex within american politics so we have to find some way to work within it and that's that's the end goal and anecdotally, what, how is how's how is it going? You know, how do you, how do you feel that that students are being kind of made aware and are being mobilised about this? Yeah, I think on the ground, it's like it's always, and this is this is why I love being grassroots because when you're tabling and you're talking to students one on one, it's incredible how receptive they are, yeah. right? Because it it. American school lunches are a joke within students. They're a joke for the parents and they're a joke within the students and telling any student, hey, wouldn't it be great not to be forced to pick up dairy and then end up throwing it in the trash anyway and then feeling kind of shitty about it because you just wasted Mm. food? And then they're like, yeah, sure. Taste this alternative. Isn't that better? Like, it's... And it's the magical thing about working with food as well because tabling with samples of anything Mm. is always better than just tabling with educational materials right Mm. so on the ground it's really really nice to do work at least in my area and a lot of areas that aren't dependent on like dairy farms or farming specifically or agriculture I think I would go with the statement that if you go up to the average American high schooler or elementary schooler or middle schooler and ask them if they'd prefer milk to water or milk to a milk alternative they would pick the milk alternative or water um for a multitude of reasons but also because being plant-based being climate conscious being sustainable has become trendy and Mm. you know it's a double-edged sword um but for the sake of this one specific issue it does play to our favor um so yeah, on the ground, it feels great because you're just working with the stakeholder, you're working with the students. But as soon as you get to Congress and you're drafting those yeah. like 10 page long statements to the executive agency to be like, hey, students want this, you should do this and then see them do the exact opposite. Then it becomes kind of like, okay, mm-hmm. the gears are going to keep turning and you just got to keep finding a way to fight against it. Which kind of argument have you found holds most water gathers the most traction with the kind of the student base is it kind of the climate change aspect or the animal cruelty element you know what what resonates yeah i think and this is this this might come like unfortunately to a lot of the list to a lot of our listeners but the the thing that picks up the most traction would be like the climate aspect and then also the racial justice aspect Mm -hmm. of how like objectively this discriminates against students of color because they're more likely to be lactose intolerant and then the climate effects of milk and beef have become widely known um but yeah it it comes as a thing of like because i think I don't know. It's it's been a discussion internally as well, and it's it's been kind of like a soul searching thing for me. And I, I find all of these issues 
equally important, of course, because they all tie together, right? At the end of the day, we're essentially talking about the same thing. Um, that's the benefit of collective liberation. But it it is a conversation internally of being like, we know that in certain groups, maybe one issue is more effective than the other. Mm. But to put to only emphasize one issue would be to the detriment of yeah. the movement itself. And that might si- sound counterintuitive to people who are like, no, but if this one issue is what's picking traction, why not just focus on it and go all in on it? And that's, that's not how it works because we're doing it for all of these reasons. And yeah. the benefit of doing it for all of these reasons is we're able to advertise all of these reasons. We're able to educate on all of these reasons. So it comes to a detriment to the movement if we only focus on the issue that's gaining traction. Because in our perfect world, everyone would care about all of these issues. And it, it wouldn't seem like the daunting task that mass media has made it seem like, right? Because every single article is like, oh, why do we have to care about everything these days? When it's like, no, 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 no. no. It's like, there are root issues that we can focus on. And it, it they're just making it seem like it's a lot of issues yeah. when it's yeah. not really, right? So. Well, I mean, actually, the, 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 the ultimate kind of premise here is that the same system is responsible for all of these kind of things. Exactly. It, it's not. It's not that there's a thousand issues that I need to care about. There's kind of one issue <laughs> and thousands that, of like symptoms and thousands of symptoms. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. that's that's exactly that. You, you put it beautifully. That, that's exactly kind of the the things, and it's just helping helping folks. I think understand that. And and I think sometimes in the in the vegan movement, you know, I see this a lot. You know, folks, folks almost don't want to be troubled sometimes by uh, by that kind of you know multi-dimensional approach. They wanna they wanna think about it as well. You know, I'm here to advocate for animals only, and I kind of think that's my personal perspective. And everyone's obviously you know entitled to with you yeah. know, hold their own opinions, but I, I don't I don't think that kind of cuts it personally. I think it, there's, yeah. These things are these things are all connected. Oppressions are all, all connected, but you can see the same hand tipping the scales for everybody, whether it's animals, people of color, women, uh, LGBTQIA plus communities, whoever. Um, you, you, I think there's there's clearly the same kind of shadowy figures involved in 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 these oppressions. Exactly. Talk, let, let's talk about on that. We said I said earlier we'd, we'd come back to the kind of the approach of the Raven Corps in terms of uh, the the multi-dimensional a- aspect, and and it'd be good to kind of understand the nuances of difference between that approach and say intersectionality, which is probably a term that people might feel a little bit more comfortable with or a little bit more aware of at least. Yeah, yeah. So our kind of like holy grail organizationally is um, a book called Racism as Zoological Witchcraft by AFCO. Um, It's a wonderful read for everyone who wants to be involved in any sort of liberation movement. Um, But it describes the difference between intersectionality and multidimensionality as intersectionality looks at singular issues as, oh, this is a intersection between racism and sexism. Um, 
but multidimensionality looks at issues as sort of like how oh, they put it so much better. It's oh, the house metaphor. Intersectionality is like looking at a bunch of different houses that are labeled under like two or three issues, right? So like this issue is under racism and sexism, and this issue is under racism and speciesism, and this issue like and so on and so forth. So it ends up like splitting it and you can apply labels to it. But multidimensionality is like looking, we're looking at just one house and racism is one door into it and speciesism is another door into it and like sexism is another door into it. So it's like, Mm. it's like how it's back to like the symptoms and like the actual system, which is instead of looking at it as multiple different issues that can be like have labels thrown in on thrown on it it's actually just we're looking at the same system and we're just looking at different ways at the end of the day to approach it but it all comes down to one thing these are all just different dimensions to an issue so if you look closely at any sort of issue when it comes to the animal rights movement or the civil rights movement or any sort of liberation movement you will be able to find ties to literally everything else because it's all comes down to the system that we function under right which is like if you look at factory farming people can focus on climate people can focus on animal cruelty but you can also focus on racial justice because the workers who are working in these factory farms are often undocumented and they're often exploited and that also comes into like economic exploitation as well so Multidimensionality is just, I, I don't know if like simpler is the right way to think about it, but it's so much easier to feel less overwhelmed if you look at things through a multidimensional approach. Because if you're looking at things through intersectionality, you will only be able to look at certain clear junctions but that's not how these issues work, right? Like it, it, it isn't just like, oh, milk just happens to be at the intersection of everything. No, that's, that's everything. We're, that's, yeah. I don't know if I did. Racism is zoological witchcraft. Read the first chapter. It's the <laughs> best part. They do it way better than me. Everyone should, everyone should read it. Um, and AFCO writes it beautifully, but yeah. I do think you explain that with complete clarity. But I think it's, I, I think it makes you know makes makes perfect sense. And like like you say, is actually um, takes uh, something that is you know by its nature very complex and nuanced, and, and helps you kind of understand it in a in a clearer uh, in a clearer way with a with a kind of obvious. Okay, now I now now you say that that makes that makes absolute sense and yeah. i think i think a lot of folks i've spoken to who who talk to intersectionality actually probably are multi-dimensional are talking to multi-dimensionalism yeah. really they're they're kind of actually talking to that that kind of aspect that the same the same kind of oppressions exist the same system is responsible for all of these kind of aspects it just happens to sometimes be very clearly uh delineated as like mm-hmm. oh well that is the that in this particular case they, yeah you know it's targeting these groups, these two groups here, and over there, here, over here, it's targeting yeah. this group here. So, it, but 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 you can you can see that the, the same the same elements are at play here. Yeah. When you sort of talk to 
um, you know, your potential supporters, future supporters, we'll call them, um, about these kind of issues. Does it make as much crystal clear sense to those folks? Are you finding that those conversations are kind of easy to to open the door on when you're talking to students, or or is that concept alone kind of enough for you know quite a difficult one for people to to grasp before you then talk to them about individual cases, or, yeah. or do you kind of almost start with individual cases and then why do you think that's happening? <laughs> exactly, I think we, like we go with like the the last approach, which is like everyone has that one issue that kind of like ropes them in no one no one like enters these movements with just like i'm gonna tackle everything and that that's just how my brain works like that's that's just not how we've been like conditioned (laughs) as human beings right so everyone has like an issue that they're like kind of roped in with and organizationally we hope and the way we function is that when we're having these internal discussions, when we're designing our operations, when we're talking to our community, we always try to emphasize that, like, look at all of these things that are being impacted and, like, maintaining that sort of approach of collective liberation. So, like, no matter what issue area you come came from, no matter what your initial focus is we hope that when you're here or when you might have to eventually leave because you age out because we only um uh serve like people from 15 to 22 but eventually when you have to leave that you leave with that sort of multi-dimensional approach to activism to life to everything um so that's that's sort of our hope of all the kind of projects and things you've been involved in with the Raven Corps, what where where's you the, the kind of the proudest achievements, if you like, the things that you, you feel like we we've really kind of made some some headway here? Yeah. I think our our day of action was really um pretty like a pretty proud moment for us. Um just because it was like we had over a hundred students table and it was it was a pain setting it up because we had to deliver, you know, cartons of milk across the country and materials and have it all set up. Um but at the end we were able to gain some like real traction. We were able to collect data and see what students kind of did and they took it and they ran with it. And I think like so much of the issue area has been dominated by adults who are very rightfully concerned about all of the impacts that it has, but none of them are really focusing the students, which to us really baffles us because it's like they're the stakeholders. You can't you can't be fighting for students. Like fighting with fighting with students alongside of you is way better than fighting for students because yeah. You're going to need students eventually, right? So I think that that was definitely one of the proudest moments. But I'm hoping and I'm pretty sure that if you ask me in a month or so, my proudest moment is going to be we're actually planning on protesting in D.C. And I'm pretty sure my proudest moment will be that once we succeed in that. Because um, we're planning to go all the way to the Capitol to really uh, work on some of those bills that are in Congress right now and change some legislators minds or at the very least show some students like this is what's happening so i'm hoping that that'll be my proudest moment <laughs> in a month <laughs> or so on the note of actually you know talking to legislators and so on have you made any traction in that regard like you know contacting kind of lawmakers and so on people within kind of political power 
uh, and are they kind of aware of your presence at least? And uh, are you in any kind of dialogues with those folks? Yeah. So um, I guess my role came out of like a greater desire to be engaged in that sort of conversation. Um, we used to be a part of a coalition that was strictly focused on federal policy, um, but because of our status as a 501c3 and we just realized that like there needs to be more grassroots work done. We sort of like took leave from the coalition and decided to really look at the grassroots level. But for me personally, um, I mean, we've sent comment to the USDA. That's I do not know how what would be an executive agency here would work at the at UK. But for the USDA, every single policy that it does, it, it asks for public comment. So companies, nonprofits yeah. have the opportunity to comment on that. So that's been one of my main roles. But also the issue area itself has gained a bit of traction because um, the previous like cycle of comment that the USDA had, they received a letter from 20 attorney generals, which are like the top state level um, attorneys stating that they would like to see more in the way of like education about the opportunity to get a parents or doctor's note. So there is some more traction within, I would say, of course, the left-leaning states um, to say that like, look at these alternatives. So it's a kind of like, um, I would say a duality between state level, seeing what we can do there, because we are in multiple states, but also nationally. Um, but us getting involved in politics and legislation is very new. And I mean, beginning of this year or like end of last year new. Um, and that's that's been my position because um, I've been involved in political activism the longest. I was involved in campaigning pre me working at the Raven Corps. Um, so I naturally had the inclination to be like, maybe we could look at the policy side of things. Um, and now we're kind of seeing like the protests in DC, for example, that's kind of like the intersection between like grassroots and more this more like, uh, I would say, I don't know tight collar official <laughs> like political work um because yeah definitely is not on our brand and i don't think you're going to see us lobbying anytime soon and we can't as we're a 501c3 we're not disclaimer <laughs> irs please don't come after us but um yeah awesome how do folks go about getting involved and supporting your work yeah, so supporting our work, um, the best thing you can do right now is go to our GoFundMe for the DC protests and donate there uh, because we're looking to raise $10,000 to send as many Ravens, that's what we call our members, um, to DC as possible for this protest. And obviously we're looking to cover their travel costs, their food costs, and um their like lodging costs as well so that's like number one what you can do right now but if you happen to be listening to this after july 28th you can go straight to our website which is just theravencourt.com or .org <laughs> um but you can go straight to our instagram or to our website and there are multiple ways to donate over there um and then we also happen to make nice crispy treats like vegan rice crispy treats um so that's there are like multiple ways so anything that you buy from us will go straight to like 
our bank account, obviously. So we're not looking to make like a profit off of any of the things that we produce that just goes straight back to us. But the number one thing you can do right now is you can go to our GoFundMe for the protest and you can donate right there because that's, that's our main focus right now. Awesome. Shibangi, it's been amazing chatting with you. Thank you so much for telling us all about the Raven Corps. I'll put links in the show notes for everyone uh, so they can go and check that out and, and hopefully get involved in funding uh, the DC protest. All the best and uh, best of luck with that protest. And uh, hopefully speak to you on the other side when you've uh, had some real success on that on that front. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. 